I'm a crier and I'm already crying, so I'm sorry for that. Hey, can you grab your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. And I just want to say on behalf of all of us to thank you to Dan Allen for taking us straight to the feet of Jesus when we started. Something about that never gets old to hear about and be reminded about God's love uh, for us. And how we can only love him because he first loved us. And then Brad, I've already changed the screensaver on my phone to a waterfall uh, to remind me too many times in my life I've, I've probably been that ugly rock instead of allowing uh, God's grace and God's mercy to, to flow over so today we're going to try to build on that foundation and we're going to take a look at our attitude what should our attitude be like and how should we think um, about about ministry have you found Ephesians chapter 4 yet? All right, good. Would you mind standing, if you were willing and able, uh, stand as my wife is up here with me. I'm just going to have her read. There's something about the public reading of Scripture. And so she's just going to read over us Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Now these are gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Father, we read your word and we realize that it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It has a way of getting to parts of us that we didn't even know existed. And so, Father, we, we come to your word today not to just check it off of a list, but to have it change us from the inside out. May we see what you have for us today. Because, Father, we are listening and we want to obey. It's in your son's Jesus' name that we pray all of these things. It's because, of, again, it's because of his life. It's because of his death. It's because of his burial. And most importantly, because of his resurrection that we have life. And so it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Don't you but dad me. It was, not my, it was not my finest fatherly moment in that moment. But I remember looking at him and saying, don't you but dad me. That started about 10 minutes earlier when I had arrived at South Brandywine Middle School. And you have no idea where that is. But I was there to watch my son and to pick him up from cross-country practice. 
And I'm sure in this moment, as I started in with Camden, he was probably thinking, practice? We're going to talk about practice? I live near Philadelphia. So, I mean, I'm sure that is what he was thinking in that moment, but he was wise enough not to say anything. You see, I had arrived a few minutes early to watch my son finish first at practice. You see, whether it's a practice or a meet, you've got to give it your all. And so I was there and being first matters. And I probably even had a large foam finger in my car with me, ready to wave and celebrate the fact that he finished first. But the problem is what I saw was the rest of the team underneath the tree with their coach. I began to look around and try to figure out where he's at over and over again. I would scan the crowd trying to to find him, but he was nowhere to be found. But then, just as I had finished rehearsing my speech about what it means to give your all all the time, whether people are there and people notice or not, I see Camo, which is what we affectionately call him, rounding the last tree with the slowest kids on the team. And without giving him a chance to come up with a lame story of why he was last, I started in on that well-crafted speech about what it means to give it your all and to give God the glory even in practice. And probably what I was saying is, bro, it's about me and my last name. And then he said, but dad. And I said, don't you but dad me. Yes, sir. Was his response. And I finally finished my challenge to him and with tears in his eyes. He said, but dad, I did finish, but we didn't finish. I said, what are you talking about? He said, but dad, I did finish, but we didn't. So I ran back to be with my team so that we could finish together. And in that moment, my ministry mindset literally changed forever. I did finish, but we didn't finish. Now, I'm not a runner, but there's something about cross country or track that's a very interesting sport to me. It's like individual and collective at the same time. Like you can finish first and you can get an award, but your team can finish last. So there's something about the independence that takes place in a sport like that. A few years later, I I read a book that also changed my thinking. It was by Peter Greer, and the book is called Rooting for Rivals. It's a book mostly written for nonprofits for them to think about what would it look like if instead of seeing the other nonprofit down the street that may even do the same thing that you do, what if you didn't see them as rivals, but you saw them as teammates? And as I finished reading that book, my ministry practice began to change. So when I finished that book, I would go back to Ephesians chapter four. And I don't know, you ever had something that changes your perspective. And so you you read the text differently. I think my whole life I had spent time reading Ephesians chapter four. And the word that really jumped off the page to me was equip. God gave us to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. But after that encounter at South Brandywine Middle School and after that encounter of reading this book, Rooting for Rivals, Ephesians chapter four, New words jumped off the page at me. Look at verse 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity. Later on in verse 13, we 
will be mature. Verse 14, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us. Verse 15, we will speak the truth in love. Listen to me, I I still believe that that passage is, is about equipping the saints and the fact that God gives God gives leaders and their job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. But can I tell you that I cannot read that text without the word we jumping out at me all over the place. In fact, until we all has become a phrase, if if I had more money and I wasn't scared of pain, I might get a tattoo that says until we all. Until we all. So this idea of we began uh, to haunt me. I would find myself trying to fall asleep at night and all I could think about is we, 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 we. What is what is what does it mean and what am I supposed to do with it? And so I'll just need you to know this, that I still sometimes stay awake at night thinking about we and I need company. So I'm introducing the concept to you and hopefully you will stay up late with me and maybe we can text one another what God tells us. To do so you're welcome in advance. So here's the question. Who is we? Who is we and why does it matter? I began to think again about in interdependence and we and I began to think about it in terms like this. What if what if they don't have a budget problem at their church? What if we have a budget problem? What if they don't have a lack of godly leaders? And you you know that because you spend time with other pastors, maybe on calls or you get together and you find out that they're having a real struggle finding leaders in their church. What if they did not have a problem of a lack of leaders, but we have a problem of a lack of godly leaders? What if the marriages in their church are not falling apart and failing, but we saw it as the fact that the marriages in our church together are doing that? What if they don't have a volunteer issue, but we have a volunteer issue? You see, when you begin to think about we in terms like that, it, it changes your perspective. Now, in order for us to understand those things, we have to spend time together. And when we spend time together, we have to be willing to say, this is where I'm struggling and this is where the pain points are in my ministry. And it's not just about putting on a good face. There has to be a group of people that you can be honest with and share those things, even if it makes you look bad as a leader. I think that's the hard part for me. There's times I don't want to share the junk that's going on at my church because I realize I'm the one that probably created the environment where that junk can take place. But what would it be like? We saw this idea of interdependence and we as so strong that we can share that with one another. The answer to who is we has far reaching implications, though. It has some ramifications. I mean, we we, we know that we're not supposed to be independent, right? There's something about that word. The instinct we're just like, ah, that's not what we want to be. But we also don't want to be codependent. Because we we realize that word has all kinds of meanings and maybe even we spend time with people and we can see the codependence just dripping from them. And we're like, no, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And we don't want to be dependent. I mean, there's something about being dependent that feels weak and somebody's always needing something. But I, I guess I began to ask myself, what scares me about interdependence? 
What is it about that idea that we are to be interdependent on the attitude with which we do or I do ministry? So I've got some homework for you. I would love for you to begin to consider how are you going to define we? How are you going to define we? How is it going to play itself out in what you are doing? But we is not the only question that we have to answer. I don't know about you, but I get this question a lot. What denomination are you a part of? Isn't that always a tricky one to answer? Maybe you've got it figured out, but every single time I sort of trip over it. So it sort of goes like this. What what denomination are you a part of? I'm like, well, we're not a denomination, but a fellowship. Oh, so you're non-denominational. And I'm like, well, no. I mean, we're part of a small fellowship of churches. There's about 240 of us in the United States. And then I like to slip in the fact that exponentially more than that across the globe. It's my way to not feel small. And so... So then they say to me, okay, so you're a denomination, but you don't call it a denomination. And I'm like, well, no. Has anybody else had this kind of talk before? Okay, good. I'm not alone. And so then I say something like this. Well, no, we believe in the autonomy of the local church, but we choose to lock arms with. That's the language that I use. But I begin to ask myself the question, why is it that I instantly jump to autonomy? Why is that the word that I that I jump to? And I realize because it's part of our heritage and there's some beautiful things about autonomy. The hard part is the word autonomy has sort of been hijacked and it's got all kinds of different connotations whenever somebody hears the word. But I have begun to wonder in my own life and then even some conversations that we have been having. I wonder if my love for autonomy or my love for us and what I mean by us is. You don't know the street address at my church, but it's 160 Cowan Road. I begin to wonder whether us at 160 Cowan Road is what I mean. And whether all I care about is what happens at 160 Cowan Road. And I, can, I begin to read portions of Scripture, and, and you know this, right? That the we passages are everywhere. Like many times we can think about this individual Christianity, and then you begin to read the text, and it's all full of plural words. So we know that it's all about we, but I begin to think that that we, again, is all focused on 160 Cowan Road. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. 160 Cowan Road. And so I began to wonder for myself whether my love for autonomy has led to a breakdown of we. You ever wondered that yourself? Ever wonder if, if there's something about this idea of us and I can put my head down and I can be so focused on what God is doing on our piece of property. And there's another church. We, we have a church literally across the street. And I wonder if this idea of by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I wonder if it applies to the church across the street. So this idea of autonomy and interdependence, I realize that they, they sort of deal in different spheres. Well, I went to a great breakout session yesterday. You all should have been there. Um, Dave Giles and a group of other people are working on a project where I had no idea this was going on, but they're working on a project of interdependence and what does it look like and what does it mean? And we went through this hour and a half history lesson and it felt like 15 minutes. 
They've walked us through potentially where this idea of being independent came from and why it shows up in our churches. The answer to we can be answered in so many different ways. So as I, as I continue to walk through this and I give you some things that I would love for you to think about, think about it, first of all, in relation to our tribe. So when I'm talking about we, I mean, think about it in relation to our tribe. And for someone like me, that's a little bit easier because uh, the church that Tim led for a while is 17 miles down the road. But some of you live in some circumstances where there is not another tribe church within hours of you. But I want us to think in terms of our tribe. I'd love for you also to think in terms of your community. How, how would you define we in the context of the community in which you live? And then I also want you to think about it in terms of the greater body of Christ. Not only in North America, but across the globe. How am I going to answer that question of we? And we leads to a lot more questions that need to be answered. Can I tell you some of the ways that we have answered we at 160 Cowan Road? Gateway Church, Parksburg, Pennsylvania. And I can tell you that it has led to sacrifice. I don't say that to be like, look at us, look how we have sacrificed But I want to tell you something. We is not necessarily for the faint of heart. And you need to know that most days I wake up and I ask myself, do I have the stomach for it? Because many times I may wake up like you and I'm thinking, I can't even I can't even lead correctly the people that God has brought to Gateway Church at 160. I can't even do that. Why would I think about doing something else? This is what some of the things that has led for us to think about and to try to lean into. I would ask for you to think about the fact that your answer to we will probably change the way you budget. In fact, if your answer to we does not change the way that you budget, then you have already answered who we is. I would dare tell you that your we is too small. If it's not going to change some of that. And you may be like me. We're at an interesting spot at our church. We went on a seven year run of double digit giving above budget. Like seven years in a row. It was like 10% and then it was 12% and then it was 11%. It's not that way this year. So there can be sometimes questions that come up. It's like, well, I mean, I understand this we thing. And I know we I know we talk about we a lot. And I know that we've taken up offerings to put roofs on other churches. And I know that we've done all that kind of stuff, but I'm not sure we can do it now. I mean, you have looked at the numbers, haven't you? In those moments, I begin to think you're exactly right. It is time for us to circle the wagons and it's time for us. I mean, because they're not expecting that and we shouldn't do that. And then I read about the Macedonian church. Who took up an offering in their poverty to help we in Jerusalem. And then I went, why does that have to be in there? (laughs) Why does it have to be in there? We has led to us uh, sitting down with leaders in our church. And saying to them, 
you know I love you, right? Yeah, 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 we know you love us. (laughs) We have a church across the street or a mile and a half down the road, and they're really struggling right now. What if, because that church is actually closer to your house than our church is, like, like what if, would you just consider praying about what it would look like for you to take your family and your leadership and go there? And almost every time they say, well, we'll pray about it, but we just want you to know our money is going to stay here. And I said, no, 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 you didn't understand me. Your money goes with you. Most recently, that's cost us one of our best elders. I know you're not supposed to rank elders, but we all do. So just get over it. Right. I mean, it, it was one of our best elders, but it, but it was the it was. Can I tell you that we led us to that decision? You will be misunderstood. Because I'm just telling you, when you begin to sit down, whether it is with another church in our tribe Or another church that has a different sign on the front yard. They will look at you like, what are you trying to do? What do you want? They don't say it right away. And Jim, I see you and I'm guessing if you were to have those conversations because of your size, people might begin to think, ah, I'll bet you he just wants our property. He just, no. We matters. So there'll be times that you will be misunderstood. There'll be times that people misunderstand your collaboration for arrogance or whatever. Can I tell you that we also leads to time allocation in your schedule. If you do not schedule time for we is not going to happen. And I feel bad about that. Tim just talked about a cohort of people that we get together all the time and we do. And I've missed, I think, at least three out of the last five of them. And then I think, but wait a minute, but we is important, we is important, we is important. So somehow I've let my schedule get out of whack that I can't spend time doing that. I will also tell you this, it will cause to slower progress potentially for you. Some of you that are go-getters and drivers, that's that's going to be really, really hard. That's how I am. I'm like, it's going to cause you to slow down a little bit. And potentially, potentially, there may be slower progress at your location than elsewhere. It's a struggle that we have in our church. There's times that I sit down with our worship leader and I'll be like, hey, listen, I've been contacted by a church and, and they don't have they don't have any worship leader this weekend. And um, and I could see the look on their face because it's summertime. We all struggle with that, right? Don't you just wish there were bass players all over the earth and they just showed up at your church on Sunday? But I'm saying it's a struggle, right? So I found myself saying, listen, we need to do everything we can do until it hurts us to help them. You know what I've stopped saying? I've stopped saying until it hurts us. Like, what would it be like? I'm asking, right? I told you I want to mess up your sleep tonight. I'm saying, what would it look like if things didn't look as perfect at your church? But there's another church that you know, and there's another part of the we that can't even have worship that Sunday. What would it look like? We is not easy to identify, but I think we need to. And I feel like I'm stealing some phraseology from Dave Giles yesterday. This was in my notes before then, but we're thinking the same thing. We need a theology of we. 
We need a theology of we. What would an orthodoxy look like that included we and what would an orthopraxy look like? So real quick, I got five W's and one H because that's what you're supposed to do, right? So here's my five W's and one H related to thinking about this idea of we. First of all, you need to answer why is we important? Why is we important? When I say that, I'm asking you to go to the scriptures and I'm asking you to comb the scriptures and ask you to think about why is we important? And you've got to do that first before you go on to the next steps. Why, why is we important? Number two, who is we? Who is we? Once you realize that we is an incredible principle and a godly idea and it's pervasive throughout scripture. I think you need to identify who your we is. Number three, what? What's going to be your level of commitment to we? What's the level of commitment? It's one thing to say, ah, I believe in interdependence and I believe that I'm supposed to lean on and let other people help me, even though it kind of hurts my ego. But what is what is your level of commitment to we? Because I'm telling you something. When times get hard, the first thing you're going to want to drop is we. It, it, it's just what happens. But if you've laid out a clear understanding of why we is important and who is part of our we, then you need to figure out what your level of commitment. And then I'll, I'll say where. Where will the focus be? And here's what I mean by that. When we talk about doing something together, we, what is, what is the vision that we are walking together towards? I think if you don't identify that, your, your, your we is going to cause you to go all over the place. <laughs> it's going to cause you to maybe even make some decisions that aren't exactly within line with your philosophy and your theology of we. But what is, what is the vision? What is it that we're going for? The last W is uh, when. And in my notes I write, when will we know we? When will we know that we is humming? And what I mean by humming is, when will we know it's working like it's supposed to work? What are, what are the things that we will see? What are the characteristics? How will, we, how will we know that it is working like God has asked us to work it out because of the theology work that we put into place? So not only why we, who we, it's a lot of we's, by the way. Um, what is our level commitment to we? Where will we focus it? And when will we know that it's humming? And then the H. How will we communicate this? How will we communicate those five things over and over again? Because my guess is, depending on the church and depending on the people that you get a chance to worship with and to disciple, this idea of we is going to be a bit of a foreign concept. And when you say we, they're going to think the four walls and everyone who is sitting inside those four walls on that day. So just like anything, think like a marketer. How am I going to communicate we over and over and over and over again? What stories are we going to tell about we? What part of our vulnerability are we going to relay to people and show to people? How are we going to communicate we over and over and over again. Uh, Dave Ferguson and Patrick O'Connell shared a framework um, in a book that they wrote in 2019 called Together, The Great Collaboration. And in that book, they gave three ideas related to, they called it collaboration. That's too big of a word for me. I call it we. Here's number one. 
They said great teams are more committed to God than they are to the cause. Great teams are more committed to God than they are to the cause. It's very interesting. There's a lot of things that are written about community and unity. And it's interesting if if we begin to become hyper focused on just unity, we will destroy unity. And if that sounds familiar, Bonhoeffer said it first. But Bonhoeffer had a lot of things to say about community and unity. And the idea is what he's saying here, what Dave and Patrick are saying is great teams or great we's are committed to God more than they are to the cause. A.W. Tozier said this in The Pursuit of God. I'm just going to read it to you. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos are all, all tuned to the same fork or automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be if they were to become unity conscious, turning their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Come on, Tozer. Number one, great teams are more committed to God than they are to the cause. Number two, great teams are more committed to the cause than they are to each other. I'm like, hmm. Great teams are more committed to the cause than they are to each other. And I think that has to do with some of what Tozer is saying and Bonhoeffer says. Be, be careful where your focus is. Because if my focus is just unity for unity's sake, then guess what? We're forgetting the mission. And now you and I care only about that, but when we keep our eyes focused on Christ and we are spurring each other on in that way, then we can become more unified. And then number three, great teams are more committed to each other than they are to themselves. Duh. Great teams. Teams that understand interdependence are more committed to each other than they are to themselves. Ephesians 4. Until we all. Until we all. It's, it's now my new definition of interdependence. It doesn't have to be yours, but it's mine. Somebody says, well, what does that mean? It means until, until we all. I think there's many times in my life that I, when I'm in my right mind, there's been so many times in my life that I haven't been, but when I'm in my right mind, I long for well done, good and faithful servant. But way too many times, I'm just thinking about myself in that. What would it be like if a tribe of people love each other, but love God even more, thought about a longing as a group for us to hear, well done, good and faithful servants. And we went after this thing together. I want to follow my son's example of, I did, but we didn't. So I circled back. And then quite possibly, it changes the way we run all together. 
don't know what this is like for you. Has there ever been a time when somebody says to you, wow, you're such an answer to prayer. Whether it was a a sermon that you gave or something you did, somebody was praying that somebody would fill their fridge and you came and you filled their fridge and you didn't, you know. They say, wow, you're you're such an answer, answer to prayer. I think you already know this, but I want to remind you that you and I have the opportunity to be the answer to Jesus's prayer. Come on, if you're going to be the answer to somebody's prayer, isn't Jesus's prayer a pretty good one to be an answer to? So this is what I would love for you to do. I'd love for you just to close your eyes. There's no altar call, so don't worry about that, okay? I'd love for you to close your eyes. And I just want to read for you this prayer, John 17. But as I'm reading it, I want you to, again, I want you to think about it through the lens of until we all. John 17 says this. Jesus says, I'm, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. You are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me And that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I pray that your your prayer might be answered. It's being answered all across this globe. But Father, I'm telling you, I think we're a group of people that say, we want to be part of the answer to that prayer. So, Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom to see clearly, to see to see the world through your eyes, to see the greater body of Christ, to see this tribe, to, to realize that even though there are hard parts to it, there's nothing like being in the center of your will and unity is a bullseye. Until we all. Father, may that be our heartbeat. May it change the way that we organize ourselves and we think about things. Father, why do we do all this? Because our eyes are on you, the King of Kings. Like our eyes, our eyes are on you. When our eyes are on you, our eyes and our hearts begin to see things and feel things like you do. And then unity becomes a byproduct. Father, we started this by coming to you in and through the person of Jesus Christ. So that's how we're going to end it. It's only because of the precious blood of your son, Jesus Christ, that you sent. Through his obedience. That we have life. We have something to live for. And that we're even allowed to have a we. So thank you. It's in his name that we pray.